Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Wednesday, January 18th, 2023. Good morning. And welcome back to another edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverins and our studio producer, Sarah Tafoya. So good to be with you here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app on Wednesdays. I always take a brief moment to remind you to pray to St. Joseph. He is a powerful intercessor, so go to Joseph. Today is also the first day of the week of prayer for Christian unity. This octave culminates next Wednesday on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. Now, 2022 was a big year for the pro-life cause, but the biggest work is just beginning. In celebration of the overturning of Roe v. Wade and in continued prayer for an end to abortion in every state, the March for Life in Washington, D.C. is taking place uh, this Friday in just a couple of days. Join this new beginning by signing up to pray and fast in solidarity with the marchers at relevantradio.com fast. Receive our free downloadable booklet, The Choice is Love, to help you answer the most pressing questions facing the abortion debate with compassion and church-grounded teachings. Here is what some of the folks who are participating are saying. William from Philadelphia says, no gossiping or complaining. Uh, Deb from Chicago is going to spend an hour in adoration and skip meat uh, for the day and do something extra for someone. And Susan from Morton, Pennsylvania will fast from eating ice cream for one month. Wow. And also pray for the grace to give up grumbling and complaining. So, uh, Join us this Friday for hashtag Fast for Life. You can sign up today, this morning, in fact, at relevantradio.com slash fast. Reminder, you can always find us uh, on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show. Uh, and you can also send us an email, morningair at relevantradio.com. I want to bring in our Morning Air team, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories making headlines here on this Wednesday morning? No, oh, I like giving up that idea of uh, grumbling and complaining. But without that, where would we be at talk radio? My goodness. Ice cream. But, uh, <laughs> ice cream is a tough one. <laughs> uh, hey, looking at the news, tough one is tragedies. Wartime tragedies continue in Ukraine. A helicopter crash today happened outside uh, a Kiev suburb next to a kindergarten. At least 18 people dead there, including the interior ministry. Three children among many uh, of those in that uh, disaster killed on the ground. Coming, John, on the heels of uh, a Russian missile strike on an apartment complex in Dnipro, Ukraine, over the weekend that killed at least 40. So uh, we haven't talked a ton about what's going on in Ukraine lately as part of our conversations here, but the war rages on now almost uh, 11 months in. Absolutely a terrible uh, tragedy, uh, this latest one with the uh, helicopter crash. And uh, Pope Francis, uh, at his audience uh, this morning, uh, continues to pray for peace in Ukraine. And that's uh, something that all of us can do is unite our prayers for peace with the Holy Father. Yeah, certainly, certainly is something we, we need to do. And it's a good thing the Holy Spirit intercedes with 
sighs deeper than words because sometimes it's it's hard to come up with the right word, but there there's a book that can help you with that. There's a book and there's a day to celebrate that book. Today is National Thesaurus Day, and if you're uh, having trouble coming up with different words, you keep finding yourself in a rut, you're stuck on the same word all the time, just, yeah, I'm fine, I'm good. You know, there's new ways to come up with those words, and not everybody uh, maybe has even heard of the thesaurus, but today is your day to find out about it because we're talking about it today. And if thesaurus is a hard word for you to uh, remember, there's even in the thesaurus a way to find a new word for the word thesaurus. I looked it up. It's also, you could say, <laughs> reference book or treasury of words, which just does sounds good. A treasure of words. And if you don't know what a thesaurus is, it's a book to you, you put in one, you look up one word and it gives you multiple other words that have the same or similar meaning. So you can, if you're trying to be an aspiring poet, the thesaurus is the book for you. I'm probably dating myself, but uh, uh, back uh, when I was in school, I actually had a physical thesaurus. I got to believe that uh, a lot of young kids today have never even heard of it. Well, they've probably heard of the Google version because you can look up thesaurus on Google or your search engine and you can find out that way. And it's definitely a a handy tool if you have your uh, phone or whatever on the go and you're trying to look up a word. This is the one way that you can do it if you don't have that travel thesaurus in your car. National Thesaurus Day, uh, something uh, to think about today. So true. As always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Sarah and Glenn. We uh, begin every morning always in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. Saint Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. Saint John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our number, if you want to be part of the program this morning, uh, 888-914-9149. Now, while uh, the Biden classified documents scandal uh, continues uh, to be in the news uh, in recent days, in just two days on January 20th, it'll mark uh, the uh, two-year anniversary since uh, President Joe Biden was inaugurated as the 46th president of the United States, the first Catholic president since John F. Kennedy. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Joseph Robinette Biden, Jr., do solemnly swear. I, Joseph Robinette Biden, Jr., do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute. That I will faithfully execute. The office of President of the United States. Office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability. Will, to the best of my ability. Preserve, protect, and defend. Preserve, protect, and defend. The Constitution of the United States. Constitution of the United States. So help you God. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. 
And so here we are two years later, and whether you like him or you don't like him, uh, what have been some of the key highlights and challenges of uh, the Biden presidency? How has Mr. Biden done the most important issues that concern us, not only as Americans, but especially for us as Catholics? Joining us live from Washington, D.C. for much more is attorney and political analyst Alfonso Aguilar, uh, the political director of Americano Media. Alfonso is a frequent guest on Fox News, MSNBC, Telemundo, Univision, and CNN in Espanol. He's published opinion columns in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And of course, he's a longtime regular contributor to Morning Air. Good morning, Alfonso. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us once again. It, It is great to be with you. Good morning, John. Happy to be with you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. This is our first time uh, visiting together. Love to get your impressions as we come up on this two-year anniversary. Uh, Overall, your thoughts on uh, President Biden's uh, first two years that we'll mark on Friday. I mean, I I think I share the the view of of most Americans, so the vast majority of Americans, that this administration... uh, has been disastrous, that the country is headed in the wrong way, that our economy uh, is hurting because of inflation. Uh, Prices have gone up, and it's due to this administration's uh, excessive government spending. So we see uh, inflation uh, growing at a pace uh, that we haven't seen in 40 years. Yes, it has come down, but it still remains very high, and that's really hurting uh, Americans. Uh, a foreign policy without a clear focus. We we saw the disastrous uh, retreat from Afghanistan that was chaotic, where American lives were lost, where uh, we left American behind, uh, where we left uh, uh, Afghan collaborators uh, behind. Uh, we've also seen the border totally out of control since he arrived, and an effort actually to encourage people uh, from all over the world, um, and especially Latin uh, Latin America, to make that very dangerous trek, uh, risk their lives to to come to America, to come to our southern border. Um, you know, crime continues to uh, to be very high, violent crime in Democratic-led cities, and this administration continues uh, to uh, support policies that weaken uh, the police. Uh, and on the issues that we care about, you know. We've seen this administration aggressively pushing a radical trans agenda, uh, issuing reports from the Department of Health and Human Services, encouraging states to allow minors to have have access to um, uh, sex change therapies, uh, to continue to defend uh, abortion. You know, recently, uh, Biden's uh, Food and Drug Administration authorized uh, uh, drugstores. Uh, to stock and dispense uh, uh, abortion pills, uh, which, as you know, uh, chemical abortion has become now the, the main form of abortion in the United States. Uh, overall, this is a real disaster. Uh, and you remember that day when he took office, he said he was going to unify the country. Well, this country is not, not unified. And uh, certainly with a new Republican House, he seems that he doesn't want to work with Republicans. Uh, we're seeing it now with as, as we're about to hit the, 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 the debt ceiling, that Republicans are willing to increase it as long as there are deep uh, spending cuts. 
And last week, the White House said that there was going to be no negotiation. Uh, well, wh- wh- where is the unifier? So, you know, it's upsetting because it's our country. We want the president to succeed. But he has taken us uh, uh, he, uh, through uh, a route that is it, just really dangerous for our country. Alfonso, uh, uh, to be fair, can you think of any successes uh, that President Biden has achieved here in his first two years? You know, sometimes when you hear from the mainstream media, you know, they think it's, uh, at least up until recently, they've thought that he's had a lot of successes. And yet, uh, from a more uh, traditional and conservative point of view, uh, there are very few. Oh, my God. Uh, It's really hard to say. I mean, and and, and frankly, you know, I have to scratch my head, and, and it's sad. Uh, you know, I, I would want to uh, look for something constructive, positive that the administration has done. I just can't think of, of any, sadly. Uh, I mean, it, it is it, it is concerning, but I think that's how the American people feel. If you look at polls, and this has been like this since uh, the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan, on every single area, most Americans... Uh, uh, think that the, the the country is going in the wrong way and 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 give this administration very poor grades. So I just I just don't think that Americans uh, see anything anything positive in in in, in this administration. And, and that's frankly unusual. Sometimes you are able to find something or an area where an administration has has done something constructive but all the, on all the major areas of policy most americans are concerned that this administration is not doing a good job and Alfonso, one of the things, and we've talked about this in the past, uh, the humanitarian uh, border crisis. Uh, this has not been handled uh, well by President Biden and the administration. In fact, uh, recently uh, he's been criticized by both sides, as heard on CNN. The president is being criticized by both sides because of what he didn't see. So let me show you, because this is one of the migrant camps that's here in downtown El Paso. And, you know, the immigration advocates here in El Paso and Governor Greg Abbott usually don't agree on much, but they do raise the same question. If President Biden came here to El Paso to see the reality on the ground about the border and he didn't come here, what's considered the epicenter of this crisis, did he leave with a clear understanding? I checked the migrant dashboard that the city of El Paso has, Uh and at the time when the president was here, there were nearly 1,000 migrants who were in federal detention. So if the president really wanted to see conditions, Uh I kind of doubt that the president of the United States would have been denied access. Alfonso, your uh, your reaction? Well, look, it's surprising that, you know, he visited the border you know, after two years in office, even though a crisis started almost immediately uh, uh, after he took over, um, his administration has consistently downplayed what's happening at the border, saying not even wanting to use the term crisis. But we've seen since he arrived and since he uh, 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 rescinded the common sense border security policies that the previous administration put in place, We've seen uh, how that has encouraged literally millions of people from all over the world to make that very dangerous trek to our southern border. And uh, that means that the people are dying uh, in, 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 in larger numbers, in higher numbers than before. Uh, we know of that in the past two years, at least 1,300 people have died that we know of. 
Um, uh, people in, in, in the FBI terrorist list ha- have been found uh, trying to cross the border. I think it's, the number is over 90 uh, just uh, last year, which is also a, um, a very high number that we haven't seen in the past. Um, fentanyl is coming through the border. Uh, it's coming through the ports of entry, but the, the border patrol is so overwhelmed that uh, in, in, in processing people that arrive at the border that they really don't have time to do their, their policing, their, their law enforcement and interdiction work. So, you know, obviously drug cartels, uh, drug, uh, child traffickers, uh, sex traffickers take advantage of this chaos to, to, to smuggle uh, uh, drugs and to smuggle people, smuggle children. So th- this is just terrible, and, and the president really hasn't done anything about it. I think the, the, the new House, uh, the, the new Republican majority in the House is going to look at this, is going to do this, and some of them have called even for the impeachment of, of Secretary of Homeland Security Mayorkas uh, for their election, their election of duty because they're not in- enforcing the law. Uh, and their focus is just about processing people. It's not about the, detaining people and preventing people from entering the border. Uh, they've also uh, put in place uh, rule, new rules for asylum that actually facilitate abuse. So people just come here, uh, even though they may not have a legitimate claim uh, to asylum, they, they just uh, say that, they, that they're afraid uh, of, of, of going back home because of, they're afraid of being persecuted and they, they, they ask for asylum and, and they're, they're let in. Uh, to wait for the case to be adjudicated inside the United States, and it takes years. Uh, it takes years, and they, and they remain here. Uh, Alfonso, uh, the, the other issue, and you alluded to it uh, earlier, uh, is the issue of life, the issue of abortion. Uh, president Biden, unfortunately, and he is a, our Catholic president, uh, he's been the most pro-abortion president perhaps that we've ever had. Uh, listen to Mr. Biden talking about his desire to codify Roe. I believe Congress should codify Roe once and for all. That's why in these midterm elections are so critical, elect more Democratic senators to the United States Senate and more Democrats to keep control of the House of Representatives. Here's the promise I make to you and the American people. The first bill that I will send to the Congress will be to codify Roe v. Wade. Your thoughts? Well, again, I mean, uh, the Democratic Party and, and the Biden administration has been taken over by by ideological extremists uh, from the left. Um, you know, just uh, uh, last week, the Republican House uh, passed the bill to the Born Alive bill that would prohibit infanticide of children that survive abortion so that they're when they're born after uh, an abortion that that, 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 that's, that has failed, that they're provided uh, the immediate care that they need, because as you know, many children die because they're abandoned uh, after they're, they're born after a botched abortion, uh, and they're abandoned to, to die on their own. And uh, so this is absolutely necessary. Well, Democrats voted against this common sense bill, uh, only with the exception of only two uh, Democrats. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, that Democrats are are embracing this extreme position on abortion, uh, where they're not even willing to vote for a, a bill that would ban infanticide. They even call the bill extreme. 
which what really is extreme is is their position. And, and as I've said, they're they're pushing hard to facilitate uh, uh, to allow for pharmacies to stock and dispense uh, abortion pills, which has and, and chemical abortion has become the number one form of abortion in the country. Uh, so they're pushing hard. And uh, and it's very sad. It, it is very sad that they they are embracing this anti-life and 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 and, and anti-values policies. And uh, Alfonso, uh, those are just a, a few of uh, some of the most important aspects of the last two years uh, for President Biden. Uh, without even getting into the whole uh, uh, documents uh, a scandal that he's dealing with right now, we can talk about that next time. But uh, I really do appreciate uh, your analysis and perspective as always. Thank you, John. Thanks so much. Uh, Morning Air contributor Alfonso Aguilar, the political director of Americano Media. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to go live to the Vatican to check in with our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona, for the latest news on the Holy Father. So stay with us as Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I know you're going to see me do it. If anybody can, you can do it. God, I know in the trial, in the pain, Father, you're going to see me. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Good to be with you here on this Wednesday morning. Thanks so much for joining us on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. As you can tell from uh, the bumper, now it's time uh, to bring Rome to home for the latest news from the Vatican. We go live to the Eternal City and our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona. Ashley and her husband, John, founded the Truth and Beauty Project, providing Renaissance-style theological formation for visitors to Rome. You can read more about them at johnandashley.org. Good morning, Ashley. Buongiorno. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us once again from Rome. Hey, John. Buongiorno. Great to be here. Hope you're doing well. Doing well. Counting my blessings, as always, here in the middle of the week. Uh, Ashley, we always begin uh, with the Wednesday general audience. So what was the main message of the Holy Father, Pope Francis, uh, this morning? Well, John, Pope Francis had started last week his catechesis on the topic of apostolic zeal. So we continued on that topic, and today he asked all to look to who he called the unsurpassable model of evangelization, and that, of course, is Jesus Christ himself. And the Pope noticed that during Christmas, the gospel especially looks to the Jesus as the Word of God, because this is highlighting an essential aspect of Christ, because, of course, he is always going outward. He's always pouring out, and his service is being directed towards others. He said that Jesus says, of course, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his own life. And in a similar way, then we are called to do the same. Pope Francis this morning turned his thoughts to shepherds. He talked about what it's like to be a shepherd, that it's not just a job. He says it requires a lot of time, a lot of dedication, because it's a 24-hour career. You live with the flock. He said, this is how Jesus gave his life for us. He stayed with us. And in that, we discover his pastoral heart, which is always beating for that lost sheep. So he said that that 
that sheep who is confused or, or far away. Pope Francis said that when a person hears that someone has left the church, uh, they should say to themselves, that they would want to go out and find that person to bring them back because Jesus' example shows that it's important to long for those people who have gone away and that Christ's pastoral heart really misses the person who's left. And it's not out of anger or resentment, but Jesus goes out for to find that lost sheep out of pure longing for each one of us. So he described that longing as God's zeal. And so then he then Pope Francis stressed that the best way to train uh, to train an apostolic heart for zeal is to always think of that lost sheep, to always be looking for that lost sheep. And he he also tied it into the importance of prayer, that Christ made all of his decisions and his important decisions after praying. And through prayer, Jesus' mission is revealed to him. So he invited all of the faithful today at the audience to pray for the grace of a pastoral heart. And then at the end of the audience today, John, he asked all present to remember in their prayers many Christians who have suffered violence, who've suffered violence directly. And he spoke in particular about Father Isaac Aki of the Diocese of Mina in, in Nigeria, who was murdered last Sunday in his residence. And he spoke about uh, praying for consolation in peace in Ukraine. And then when he addressed the French-speaking pilgrims today at the general audience, Pope Francis uh, asked a group, especially from the Democratic Republic of Congo, to pray especially for his upcoming visit to the country there, John. Well, Ashley, um, he uh, continues to pray for, for Ukraine, and many prayers are needed because they, they had that terrible uh, helicopter uh, accident near a, a kindergarten this morning that killed around 17 people, including the interior minister. So uh, many, many uh, prayers are needed. We need to continue to unite our prayers to those of the Holy Father. Hey, one quick thought. Um, you know, this coming Sunday mm-hmm. is Word of God Sunday, and, you know, uh, it, it, every week, weekend and week out, Pope Francis always draws his his uh, homilies uh, from the Word of God. He really wants us to to dive into the Bible, and I think that's such a beautiful thing, something that he instituted a few years back. Yes, in fact, he, he says that it is our duty to bring the Word of God to those who we meet and those who, what he said today was those who are entrusted to us. So in other words, those who God specifically has crossed our path and those who we just more quote randomly encounter in our daily lives. And so he spoke about our responsibility for that. And so John, as you're saying, in order to fulfill that and to do it with zeal, all of us, the faithful have an obligation to be informed and to know the word well so that we can share the truth. Great reminder for all of us as Catholics. After all, the Bible is mm-hmm. a Catholic book. Meanwhile, they're in Roma. They are preparing for the upcoming Jubilee year of uh, 2025. What is going on? <laughs> yes, 2025 is coming up sooner than we all think. And in fact, Rome has now unveiled dozens and dozens dozens of major infrastructural projects that are going to be carried out 
right here in the city. So our mayor met with Pope Francis, and he has laid out 87 what he calls essential projects. And the cost is going to be up to 4 billion euro from the Italian government. So the aim is that all of these projects are going to be complete by the by December of 2024. And there's going to be things like building new underground car parks and pedestrian underpasses, also um, fixing up the area around our main train station called Termini Station. They're going to resurface some roads. They're going to improve public transportation and lighting. And they're also going to add more public bathroom facilities. And so our Prime Minister, Georgia Maloney, said that these things are essential because the event of the Jubilee is inextricably linked to the identity of the Eternal City. And this is, of course, a celebration that occurs every 25 years or typically every 25 years because extraordinary Jubilees have been called throughout the centuries. But in the year 2000, which is called the Great Jubilee of the New Millennium, there were 25 million pilgrims who came to Rome. So we we are expecting quite a major influx that year or coming up in 2025. And then this is, of course, a time during the Jubilee year when the Pope will open the Holy Door at St. Peter's Basilica, but also at the other papal basilicas at St. John Lateran, St. Paul's Outside the Walls, and St. Mary Major. And those doors will be open from just before Christmas of 2024, and then will end on the Epiphany. 2026. So uh, that gives us plenty of time to start planning our trip right now, John. It sounds like a, a, a really exciting time coming up uh, in 2025. Uh, Four billion euros. Uh, Roma is getting a facelift. In fact, I remember yes. uh, back in 2000, you know, uh, touching that door, walking through the door that uh, mm. uh, Pope John Paul II opened for the Great Jubilee. Yes. Yes, and of course, there is the promise of a plenary indulgence attached to that door in keeping with the typical conditions. So to pray the creed, to pray for the intentions of the Holy Father, to receive the Eucharist, to go to confession, and then the, the last, oh, the last one is the hardest one, to have a disposition of detachment from sin. So you know, we, we do have the opportunity in passing through a holy door each day to potentially receive an indulgence. Meanwhile, uh, when I think of Rome, I think of beautiful museums and, and incredible Ooh. art, but yet I understand there's a new school of arts in Roma. You're right. Actually, believe it or not, a new school has started uh, based at the at the Vatican, based in their office of the, it's called the Fabric of St. Peter. So in Italian, we say the Fabrica. And they are in charge of taking care of the conservation and the maintenance of, of St. Peter's Basilica. Well, they have launched a new school of arts and trades, and they are offering technical formation and teaching for future stonemasons, carpenters, marbleists, etc. So this week, 20 students began their training. There's 12 young men, eight young women. They, they're coming from Italy and Peru and Germany and Belarus. And uh, they are, the courses are right there in the workshops of the fabric offices. And so each of these students who has enrolled has already received some kind of technical and artistic training. And so the idea 
is to enhance that training with the formation of the San Pietrini. That's what we call the conservation experts who work for the, the fabric of St. Peter's. San Pietrini, uh, the little St. Peter's in other words. And so these, these young artists are going to train with them through six months of lectures and seminars and they'll have tours and they'll even visit different locations throughout Italy. They'll also learn about the spiritual aspects of the Basilica. So we certainly hope that this is a, a very positive sign for Catholic art and culture, John. And Ashley, you never know. There could be a uh, new modern Bernini in the making. Well, I certainly do hope so. And Bernini and Michelangelo were so successful because of their very deep theological education and formation. And it's out of that that their art came. So yes, let's pray that we have artists who are expressing the the truth of the church through their, their artwork. Sounds in, great to me. In addition to art, uh, wine is something else that Italy is known for. What is happening <laughs> with uh, Italy's wine producers? Uh, uh, apparently they're not uh, happy uh, with Ireland. Oh, John, this is, yes, this is a real fight between pasta and potatoes here, John. So Italian wine producers have strongly objected to a new plan that's coming out of Ireland, and they are requiring legally that there be health warning labels on wine bottles shown that are sold in the country. So basically these health warning labels will outline links between alcohol and cancer. And so the Irish government has made this plan to put labels on bottles of wine and beer and spirits. And um, this is kind of like what we might see on a packet of cigarettes, for example, those warning labels. Well, they're going to talk about the danger of liver disease from, uh, and the risks of um, if you drink while pregnant. So in the meantime, Italy has reacted in a very strong way. Our foreign affairs minister said this decision from Ireland is absurd. They called it alarmist. And they're not taking into account the difference between modern consumption and alcohol abuse. They said that it is disproportionate and it is a direct attack on Italy, the greatest, uh, the leading producer and exporter of wine with more than 14 billion euro in wine sales every year. So we shall see how it all settles out, John. This is getting personal for the Italians who love their vino. You better believe it. Absolutely. It's uh, very much part of the Italian identity. And interestingly, in Italy, we have very low incident proportionally of alcoholism. Uh, and one of the reasons that is purported is that because it's such, it's so common in the culture here. And finally, um, there were some uh, special celebration for yesterday's feast of uh, the Abbot St. Anthony. Yes, exactly. So sure enough, this is a huge day for Italy and especially Italian farmers. St. Anthony Abbott is the patron saint of domestic animals. So in keeping with tradition, farmers and pet owners throughout the country brought their animals to their local churches for blessings. And right here at St. Peter's Square, they also had a very special celebration. So despite the cold and the rain, people still came out with 
with uh, all their furry friends. And Cardinal Gambetti, who's the Archpriest of St. Peter's, he has celebrated a special mass inside of the Basilica. And in his homily, he spoke about how St. Anthony was sought after for his wisdom because he said that in addition to scripture, he looked to creation to read the thoughts of God. And then during the offertory at the mass, farmers, local farmers brought up cheese, eggs, and other farm grown products. And then after the mass, there was a, a big parade of horses down the Via della Conciliazione, the long street leading to Vatican City. And uh, all of it finished in an open air stable right there outside of the square. And this was put up by the Association of Livestock Farmers. And uh, Cardinal Gambetti then went and blessed all of the animals there. Apparently, he's an animal lover too because he pet and greeted many of the animals uh, along the way. And then uh, in Benyaya, which is not far from Viterbo, Italy, they had a very exciting celebration. I was there on Saturday and they were building the great, the biggest bonfire I've ever seen. So imagine this huge pyramid shaped uh, logs it set up in the middle of the main piazza of this town. It was 20 Five feet high. It was 80 feet in diameter, all these logs right there in the main square. And what happens is that for an entire year, young men who join the association of the Sacred Fire of St. Anthony, they have to be between 18 and 30, and they start collecting the wood. They'll even take days off work to collect the wood. And then on the night of the feast, the fire is lit. And why? Because it's meant to be a hymn to life in the dark of winter. And as the, the crowds stand around, there's music playing and they all chant, Aviva Sant'Antonio, long live St. Anthony. In the meantime, horse-shaped cookies are served. And then the famous Cavallucci cookies that are made with hazelnuts and candied fruit and cinnamon and nutmeg. And people enjoy them with sweet wines like Vinsanto or Asti Spumante. So, um, what a, a party. A really interesting way. <laughs> exactly. What a party. We're going to have to leave it right there, Ashley. Uh, it sounded like a, a great celebration uh, for uh, St. Anthony the Abbot. Uh, as always, grazie, grazie. Thanks so much uh, for being with us and uh, for bringing Rome to home to our listeners. Yes, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. Take care and God bless. God bless you too. Ashley Narona, our Rome correspondent who joins us every Wednesday from the Eternal City. You can always listen to her reports on the Relevant Radio app. Just go to Relevant in Rome. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Joe Boland, the Vice President of Mission for Catholic Extension, will join us to discuss the week of prayer for Christian unity. Stay with us. There is much more to come as Morning Air continues on this Wednesday on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Looking at life from a Catholic worldview. It's Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Good to be with you here on this Wednesday morning. Our number again 
888-914-9149 if you want to be part of the program. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from 2 Corinthians 6.2. The Apostle St. Paul writes, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. As Catholic Christians, we need to understand that our salvation is a process. It's a race like a marathon, and it's not a sprint. St. Paul reminds us that we were saved by grace and faith in Jesus Christ. We're working out our salvation in fear and trembling, and we will be saved if we persevere until the end. So today is the day of salvation. Let us begin. We always pray with great confidence. Jesus, I trust in you. Now today, uh, the U.S. bishops are kicking off a week of prayer for Christian unity as part of our commitment as Catholics to building uh, fruitful relationships with other Christian churches, fostering bonds of friendship, mutual understanding, and constructive collaboration. Keep in mind that Catholic Extension supports uh, the missionary activities of the Catholic Church in 87 dioceses in the U.S., including in many parts of the country where Catholics are a small minority. Joining us live uh, from Chicago is Joe Bolin, the Vice President of Mission for Catholic Extension, uh, to talk a little bit about uh, what uh, Christian unity actually looks like in practice in some of these communities. Good morning, uh, Joe. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you once again uh, here in the new year. Good morning, John. Thanks for having me. This is a really important topic uh, for us as Catholics. Uh, our Lord Jesus Christ uh, prayed in John seventeen twenty one that we may all be one. Can you talk about why it's important for Catholics and other Christians to work towards greater unity? Yeah, well, I, I think it's first of all, it's a it's a sign of hope uh, to the world. Um, our our uh, our own faith tradition acknowledges that it is a scandal uh, that the followers of Jesus are are divided, and but there are things that we can do, little ways in which we can show our unity as Christian churches, and that is a sign of hope to the world. And I think also uh, the reason why this is such an important topic is because uh, we have to acknowledge that together um, we are stronger when we uh, work side-by-side with other Christian churches uh, in our own ability to advocate uh, for ourselves, for example. In fact, some of the religious freedoms that we enjoy in this country um, are a consequence of some of the advocacy that our Protestant brothers and sisters have have done on on behalf of all of us. Um, And I think we also have to recognize uh, that together we're also able to bring about greater justice, greater peace in the world, and we had a perfect example of what that has looked like historically when on Monday we celebrated, you know, uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, which was this movement of, of justice emanating out of uh, a Protestant uh, community, a Protestant preacher. Um, but certainly something that over time the Catholic Church itself in this country got deeply involved in. Um, I've been in a, a church that we helped build in uh, Canton, Mississippi called uh, Holy Child Jesus, and there's a great picture on the wall of the sacristy of Martin Luther King Jr. and the pastor and some of the parishioners. And it turns out on one of his freedom marches when he was uh, attacked, the place that uh, Martin Luther King Jr. found refuge was in the Catholic Church. And so he and his uh, marchers slept there that evening in the gym, and it was a great example of churches coming together as a sign of unity uh, in the name of, of justice and of peaceful change. And so I think we have to keep those examples in mind and understand what is possible when we work together with other Christian denominations. 
There's so much uh, that we have in common with these other uh, Christian denominations, uh, as you you mentioned, you know, justice and peace and religious freedom. Um, obviously, uh, the uh, celebration of uh, Martin Luther King Day on Monday, uh, in in a way, you know, is it's kind of like a bookends uh, week here uh, with that uh, celebration on Monday, and then um, in a couple of days on Friday, we have the March for Life in Washington D.C. Uh, to uh, to remember the importance of life, which uh, there are some folks who think that the the issue of life uh, is really the ecumenical issue of our time that brings uh, Christians of all denominations together to protect the unborn. Yeah, and you look at all the great movements, and you just mentioned them, John, uh, in which we as churches are advocating for the most vulnerable in our society, in which we are, you know, um, lifting up uh, the poor, in which we are uh, attending to the suffering. There is no doubt that we are uh, stronger when we do this together. And and for people who um, might be, you know, skittish about uh, working with uh, other Christian denominations, you know, I, I think when we are really firm in your identity, uh, there's there's no there's no need to fear. Um, uh, dialogue or, or, or collaboration uh, with other churches. We were built for this. Uh, and in fact, what the bishops are telling us uh, is that we're, we're called uh, to do this work. And um, again, it, it is a sign of hope uh, to the world when they see the followers of Jesus come together in common purpose uh, to really do very concrete and beautiful things and make change and transformation happen uh, in our own society. And there's many, many examples of what that looks like in today's day and age, which is why we need to uh, continue uh, to find opportunities to work with other Christian de- denominations. Joe, I remember uh, a few years back, um, I had the blessing of being able to uh, attend an ecumenical prayer service uh, with then uh, Francis Cardinal George and many other uh, Protestant leaders. And it was it was a beautiful thing to see all these ministers and pastors from all these denominations, along with Cardinal George, all in the same sanctuary in a Protestant church, uh, praying for that uh, Christian unity. Yeah. And um, there's that symbolism of our leaders coming together, and that certainly exists. There are um, ongoing forums in which, uh, you know, the leaders, the leaders of the Catholic Church and the leaders of other uh, churches can kind of come together in that, that sign of unity. I, I've seen what it looks like, too, just on very practical daily levels, you know, uh, down, down in the trenches. Uh, just last month, I was in um, Kentucky, a Catholic Extension helped support after-school programs. Um, and these are to reach out to children that have absolutely, um, you know, uh, no resources. They might be behind two years in, in, their, in their grades in school, uh, two, two full academic years behind. And there was no church in this uh, county. And so the Methodist Church uh, opened up their doors to the Catholic Church to come in to run the Don Bosco Center so that these children would have a place uh, to come. And I was talking with that Methodist pastor, and he said, you know, I just absolutely believe in what you're doing. And he's giving that space to the Catholic Church rent-free. And I, I remember thinking to myself, huh, I wonder, I wonder if um, uh, the Catholic Church would have given this same ministry <laughs> its space rent-free as well. And so, you know, just even little daily examples of that, where we have this commonality of mission uh, between Protestant churches or other Christian denominations in the Catholic Church, 
we can see how, uh, you know, great things are possible, uh, even at that very micro level. And it's happening every day, and we need to be able to do more of it. It's a beautiful thing, and it really is uh, an attempt to live out uh, our Lord's uh, prayer, His uh, priestly prayer for unity in, in John 17, that we may all be one. Joe, I really appreciate you being with us. Uh, it's always uh, great to, to get your perspective. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Joe. Joe Boland, the Vice President of Mission at Catholic Extension. And now it's time for yet another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today, a classic called Pearls. Jenny was a bright-eyed, pretty five-year-old girl. One day, when she and her mother were checking out at the grocery store, Jenny saw a plastic pearl necklace priced at two fifty. Oh, she wanted that necklace. And when she asked her mother if she could buy it for her, mom said, Well, it is a pretty necklace, but it costs an awful lot of money. I'll tell you what. I'll buy you the necklace, and when we get home, you can make up a list of chores you can do to pay for the necklace. And don't forget, for your birthday, Grandma, this might give you a whole dollar bill okay, too. Jenny agreed, and her mom bought the pearl necklace for her. Jenny worked on her chores very hard every day, and sure enough, her grandma gave her a brand new dollar bill for her birthday. Soon Jenny had paid off the pearls. How Jenny loved those pearls. She wore them everywhere, to kindergarten, to bed, when she went out with her mother to run errands. The only time she didn't wear them was in the shower. Her mom told her that they'd turn her neck green. Now, Jenny had a very loving daddy. When Jenny went to bed, he'd get up from his chair every night and read Jenny her favorite story. One night, when he finished the story, he said, Jenny, do you love me? Oh, yes, Daddy, you know I love you, the little girl said. Well, then, give me your pearls. Oh, Daddy, not my pearls, Jenny said. But you can have Rosie, my favorite doll. Remember her? You gave her to me last year for my birthday. And you gave her the tea party outfit, too. You can have that, okay? Oh, no, darling, that's okay. And her father brushed her cheek with a kiss. Good night, little one. A week later, her father once again asked Jenny after her story, Do you love me? Oh, yes, Daddy, you know I love you. Well, then give me your pearls. Oh, Daddy, not my pearls. You can have ribbons, my toy horse. Remember her? She's my favorite. Her hair is so soft, and you can play with it and braid it and everything. You can have ribbons if you want to, Daddy, said the little girl to her father. No, that's okay, her father said, and brushed her cheek again with a kiss. God bless you, little one. Sweet dreams. Several days later, when Jenny's father came in to read her a story, Jenny was sitting on her bed, and her lip was trembling. Here, Daddy, she said, and she held out her hand. She opened it, and her beloved pearl necklace was inside. She let it slip into her father's hand. With one hand, her father held the plastic pearls, and with the other, he pulled out of his pocket a blue velvet box. Inside of the box were real, genuine, beautiful pearls. He had them all along. He was waiting for Jenny to give up the chief stuff so he could give her the real thing. So it is with our Heavenly Father. He's waiting for us to give up the cheap things in our lives so he can give us beautiful treasure. Isn't God good? Are you holding on to things which God wants you to let go of? Are you holding on to harmful relationships, habits, or activities which have become so attached it seems impossible to let go? Sometimes it's so hard to see what's in the other hand. But do believe this one thing. God will never take away something without giving you something better in its place. Matthew 13, 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. 
As always, Glenn, another uh, truly inspirational uh, story corner. So much uh, do appreciate it. Now, coming up next hour, our spiritual director, Father Marcel Tyone, the pastor of St. Thomas More, a Catholic parish in Narragansett, Rhode Island, will join us to talk about the seven deadly sins and how we can deal with them and overcome them. And our personal success coach, Dave Duran, will tell us about five uh, ways to encourage others and why we really should be encouraging others. And stay with us, Relevant Radio family. We are just warming up this morning. There's much more to come on this Wednesday in the final hour of Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.